Another one bites the dust. And another one bites the dust. No, this is not a song from the band Queen. Two more coaches got canned this past week. We'll break that down in our main topic. We should also remind you how important it is to have a playoff spot on American Thanksgiving. We'll uh, talk about the teams that did have that luxury and whether or not they can hang on to that playoff spot. Plus, a scary scene in Ottawa, a point streak for Mike Hoffman, and injuries galore. Episode 147 starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Time to delve in the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, actually, you know what? Forget the book of trivia for this week. Uh, we're mixing it up a little bit. Uh, got a trivia question from the internet. And uh, Brett, you pointed uh, this out to me when Patrick Laine had his five-goal game. Yep. So here it is. Patrick Laine scored five goals against the St. Louis Blues on Saturday. It was the first time since 2011 where we witnessed such an event. Which player did it last? Was it Alex Ovechkin, Steven Stamkos, Sidney Crosby, or Johan Franson? Huh. So, so here's the thing. So I did tell you about like, you know, because I didn't find it. I just found that it was in 2011. Um, so I don't know who it is. Um, and I said like, oh, this would be a perfect trivia question. So, yeah. uh, so I do not know who it is because I tried not to look at it because I could easily look. Um, I'm going to go. I feel like this is a trick question because I feel like because you included Franzen in here. And I feel like that might be the answer, but then it doesn't make sense. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Ovechkin. It was Johan Franzen. Damn it! Damn it! I knew it. Uh, I should have gone with and my I gut there. Because he did it against my team, the Ottawa Senators, February second, twenty eleven, at Stoshbank Place. Before it was called the Canadian Tire Center, the opposing goalies that he did that five goal performance on were Robin Leonard and Brian Elliott. This happened before Craig Anderson was traded to Ottawa. Heck, before the Bruins even won the Stanley Cup. So that's how long ago we're talking about here. Well, all right. Well, (laughs) I guess um, there we go. Um, So I also have, speaking of line A, um, I feel like we, uh, since we touched on it last week a lot, uh, we talked about how Line A hasn't gotten going, and it's not just the goals because you know he had I think he had like eight goals on, um, in in the first twenty games or so, um, and that, but like only one of them was even strength and stuff, and then uh, the next night he has like a hat trick, uh, no big deal. It's like all right, I guess I guess he's he's getting things going. Then he has a couple of goals every now and then, and then on Saturday. He gets five goals uh, on five shots, even, um, yeah. and so um, so I have the full totals: eleven goals on four ga- in four games. He has zero assists, which is fine. If, if you're getting eleven goals, you don't need the assists. 
Um, but that was the first, uh, as, as we just mentioned, that's the first five goal game since 2011. Uh, Joanne Franson did that. Um, and also, um, I mean, he, and also two of those 11 goals were on the power play. So it looks like, um, our worries are not insane, are not as, um, worrisome anymore purely because of his insane week this week. Um, and he but, now leads the league in goals. Yeah, I was about to say. And he now leads the league in goals. Um, and what's crazy, too, is that of the in that five-goal game, he had five goals and five shots. I don't know what uh, Johan Franson did in those five, like how many shots he had in that game, but uh, five goals <laughs> in five shots, that's nuts. Um, and it's like, I guess now his shooting percentage is back to normal or to what his career average is. Um, I, I read somewhere in October, yeah. um, on, on Twitter rather, that in October, shooting percentage was not even 10%, and it's over 30 in November. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, I guess like it makes sense too, because when you think about it, because I think last year he started off slow in the gold scoring department and stuff. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's something to that. Um, as for his assists, like marks, like you know, his assists aren't now. Now we're all concerned about his assists, but yeah, the goal to assist ratio is pretty lopsided, right? Yeah, now. but I feel like that's the case for his entire career too. It's like I think he had like twenty assists and forty goals last year, so it's like it's always you know, it's not like he's never been an assist guy. So I'm not as worried about that. Um, it's also like you have to consider the fact that his deployment um, in time that he'll his assists will come up. But like, again, if you're scoring goals at that rate, you, you don't have to worry about <laughs> getting assists because, you know, you're you're contributing at least. Um, in terms of all the other players we talked about, they all had pretty good weeks. Um, only Jamie Ben didn't have a, like he had a decent week. He had two goals in the four games that they played, the Stars played last week. But um, you know that's still not bad. But not compared to Kopitar, Stamkos, and Carlson. Uh, Kopitar had four games, um, and in those games he had two goals and three assists, so five points in those four games. Stamkos also had four games, um, and in those he had an, a goal and three assists. So again, to be fair to be fair to Stamkos, though the goal in three assists happened in one game. Yeah, but I mean it's still something. Yeah, it's he's, still yeah, you're right. He's still it's a point there. per game for this week, um, yeah. and then Eric Carlson had um, in three games he had one goal and two assists and three points in three games. Um, so so all of them had more than a point per game this week, um, and Line A especially he had like two points per game. Um, Maybe, maybe even more. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I guess, um, I don't know, maybe all three, all five of them listen to, to our podcast or something, um, uh, or something. I don't know. Line, our podcast jinx actually yeah. is good use this time. Although, I mean, I think it, it was unintentional, but at the same time, I was totally hoping that line A would get it together just by yeah, talking about it. I, I think both so, of us thought he would. Yeah. It's just how he was able to yeah. just explode the NHL. Exactly. I mean, I have a lot riding on Line A. He's, he's yeah. on two of my teams, so um, I figured I, I should, uh, tr you know, do my part at least. So, yeah. um, 
now we go on to our main topic here. Um, but I, fi- I figured I should just mention that. Uh, the Blues, so we had two other more coach firings this week. Um, we also, so we have two, uh, and then we also have a GM firing that just happened as well. But uh, we'll first start with the coach firings because that's, um, you know, because we prepared for that. <laughs> so the the first one was uh, the St. Louis Blues fired uh, Mike Yo. I guess this was kind of bound to happen. I think like Mike Yo even said that he hasn't been doing his job and he was kind of surprised he hasn't been fired yet. Um, I'm paraphrasing there, but... Well, it... he, he, I, I remember earlier in the year where he said that, um, like, he, 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 he wouldn't be surprised that if if his job with the blues was in jeopardy, he mm-hmm. felt that it should be in jeopardy with the way the team had been playing. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm paraphrasing there, but, um, that sort of sounds like, Hey, I, you know, I'm taking responsibility for this, but, um, anyways, uh, Berube, um, is the new coach. Um, I believe he is one and two. Um, mm-hmm. they beat Nash because like, he was fired right after the LA Kings game on Monday. So, yeah, and at that point, I believe yep. it was three shutout defeats. They were shut out in three of their past five. Yep. Um, right. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the Blues schedule right now. Um, and they, uh, so yeah, they went one and two. They beat Nashville, but they lost to Nashville and uh, Winnipeg. Um, however, the the game that they lost uh, to Winnipeg, um, I mean, that was Patrick Laine's game, uh, you yeah. know, game, but um, they also, you know, they they put up four four goals, so that's not bad on a, you know, on a, um, it just happened that Patrick Laine, they were playing against Patrick Laine and his five yeah, goals. Yeah, if they take Patrick Laine off the ice, yeah, they probably win that exactly. game. Exactly. So, um, so, so far, um, you know, it's kind of been iffy on if the Blues made the right move. Um, we'll get to the uh, the big uh, elephant in the room in a second, which I think you know which elephant I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the other news is the Oilers, they fired their coach as well. They fired uh, Tom McClellan. Um, and this happened on um, just before Tuesday. Um, they hired Kent Hitchcock, which I guess um, Hitchcock wasn't uh, retired or something. Um, I thought he had retired after Dallas or something, but no, I'm I'm pretty sure he retired. Yeah, and then um, I guess he never officially announced it, but anyways, he's back into uh, Edmonton. Um, he's now the coach there. Uh, they beat the, the, it was funny cause they fired him on that Tuesday and then they had a game that day. Uh, they came back, uh, uh, against the Sharks. Um, they won four, three, which was impressive enough. Yeah. But, and they, I think they came back three different times in that game too. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. Although like the OT winner was like, they won an OT but it was like, uh, like McDavid just like hit Drysaddle's foot and it went in. It wasn't even as impressive. It was just like, oh, all right, you know, McDavid basically um, did something. But it, you know, anyone could have done that. 
Um, but anyways, they they so they beat the Sharks, then they lose to Anaheim, and then they lose to LA on Sunday. So, um, so they're one and two as well since the uh, firing um, of of their coach. Um, but the biggest question is. So, I mean, I guess we'll get into Quenville sec, uh, secondly, but um, first, was this the right move for both teams? So, in the Blues case, absolutely, because they have a power play specialist in Ryan O'Reilly. Braden Chen has proven to be a very good player. Tarasenko's leading the charge offensively as well. He's their goal scorer. And on defense... Colton Pareko and Alex Petrangelo are still relatively good, but this team is getting exposed. Their goaltending has been nowhere near good enough. Um, and I think as a team, they haven't been good enough uh, in front of their goaltenders. And I think for that reason, Mike Yo had to go. And I think out of all of the coaches that had to lose his job, because his team wasn't playing well, Mike Yo was the first on my list, right. unfortunately for him. Because I'm sure he's a good coach, but you could tell the writing was on the wall for some time when, when the Blues got off to that rough start. Even, even around the time where he made those comments, I thought if they continued to slide that this was going to happen. So it was only a matter of time in this case. Um, I don't think Craig Berube is the right guy for the job. And I think that's partially why the interim tag was placed on him because I think the St. Louis Blues need to exercise all their options to make sure that they have the right team, the right players, the right coach. And I think Craig Berube is a measuring stick for what coach they want to coach the team and which players they want to be a part of their team moving forward. Um, so I don't think there is an immediate solution in St. Louis right now for the Oilers. I guess a coaching change never happens at the right time. But if you look at the pressure that the Oilers were under to perform this year, I mean, it looked like they were on the right track after a slow start, but then they started to cool off again. Um, I think it's unfortunate for Todd McClellan, but I think that, for the sake of Peter Shirelli and keeping his job, this had to happen. I mean, you, you look at the decisions that Peter Shirelli has made as GM of the Oilers. He didn't help them get better on defense. He signed the underachieving Milan Lucic to a massive contract. Yep. Out of all the picks they have selected in the past six drafts, only four are on NHL rosters, not just their roster, NHL rosters today. And those four players would be Darnell Nurse, Carter McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and Jesse Pugliarvi, who has bounced around the AHL as well. That being said, I think there was still enough talent for Todd McClellan to work with. Was there enough talent in the areas they need to be successful? I don't think so. And that is where it falls on Shirelli. But at the same time, I think Ken Hitchcock was the right hire to wake this team up. He has that track record of pushing the right buttons to bring a team together. He did it with St. Louis in 2011-2012. They continued to be contenders for years after that year. Um, but even with Ken Hitchcock as their coach, 
this is a team that's probably still going to heavily rely on Connor McDavid. Um, unlike St. Louis, Edmonton doesn't have as good of a defensive structure like the Blues had Petrangelo to work with at least. So that helped Ken Hitchcock a little bit. Um, the Oilers have a relatively young defense. They don't have any Petrangelos on their roster. You're not sure what you're getting out of Cam Talbot or Miko Koskinen every night. Um, I, I'll give them credit that there have been, they've been in some close games under Ken Hitchcock so far, but they're not getting results. They got uh, one out of a possible four points in those two games against the Kings and Sharks. And the Kings haven't really impressed anybody with their offense either. So I think one way or another, regardless of what happens to Ken Hitchcock, the next person getting fired is not Ken Hitchcock. It's Peter Shirelli. This is Peter Shirelli's last possible lifeline. He's got zero after this. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, first off for the blues, I agree with you. I think, um, Mike, yo, you know, I don't know what's going on with St. Louis because they make all the, they made all these moves in the off season, um, with you know getting Ryan O'Reilly. Poor Ryan O'Reilly, by the way, because yeah, he's, uh, he's always on a losing team now. And um, the team he just left is getting good. Exactly. Well, that's the same thing that happened to him when he left Colorado, um, in a way. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, so um, and they, you know, they get um. They get Tyler Bozak. They get, uh, you know, they get Robbie Fabry back. That should help at least a little bit. And Peter Angelo's kind of been struggling, but, you know, he's still a, a decent defenseman out there. And don't forget Pareko and all that. And, of course, uh, Tarasenko, um, who's one of the best goal scorers in the league right now when he's hot. So it's, you know, I, I feel like... Um, they like this is like the right move at the point because they already made all the trades and they just need to make sure so just firing the coach um makes sense in terms of getting um a player you know back like getting a you know just getting making sure they're all like into the core i guess that takes time you know uh, when you make a lot of trades like that, and you get a lot of recovering players like that as well, so um, and when you and when know. you look at the Oilers as a team, and you look at the division that they're in, yeah, like San Jose and Calgary are ahead of them, and even Anaheim's ahead of them, but none of those three teams are running away with the division. The right. Oilers have tons of time to pick it up. They need to start now. Right. But time has not ended on this season. And like I said, given the expectations that the Oilers have, I think that's partially why this move was made. Well, I wasn't talking about the Oilers. I was talking about the Blues first. But yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the Blues, it's more serious because they're in a much better division than the Oilers. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess that, that was your point. <laughs> yes. Uh, but so no. I guess, I, guess, I guess that's the difference between these two. No, yeah, and that that's true, and I was I, I guess it makes but like it makes sense to fire the coach just because they've already traded a lot, and I guess they need like another guy in the room to like I feel like it takes time when they get a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, and they get a uh, like Fabry who's supposed to be in your top six. It takes time, so um, so I can totally understand like getting a new coach in charge and getting used to all that stuff there. Um, as for Edmonton, yeah, I also agree with you in terms of 
that I don't know if it's necessarily McClellan's fault um, that the Oilers have been underachieving. Um, I think you could make a case, a strong case that uh, Torelli is at fault here um, in just in terms of, um, I wouldn't say necessarily drafting because Pulu URV were, you know, was projected to even go like third overall after, um, after line A. So, um, after line A and Matthews. So I think, um, you know, you can't really get them for drafting Pulu URV, um, or you can't even get him for, um, drafting Yamamoto, Yamamoto, cause you know, um, he's been, uh, like I, I thought that was going to be a steal too. Um, I guess you could say that it's the coach's fault just for not developing those players to what they want. But like then again, guys like they who they've drafted before, um, of course McDavid, of course Nurse, of course Drysital, um, Clefbaum even. Um, but the thing with that is all those guys I'm mentioning; those are all first round picks. Um, and the thing that, that like d- was Trelli's undoing was like, you know, he wasn't really drafting, uh, well for all the, the rest of the guys. Um, it was always just the first round picks that of course you're going to make. So it's like, you know, Trelli has a history of not drafting, um, just fully for the second, third and fourth round, um, and beyond. Um, which I think is more of the issue is that they're not, they're only drafting in the first round. Well, um, and then the, the rest aren't great. Um, but like a lot of that, you know, it comes to time as we'll talk about later in terms of Arizona, but I mean, there is a point to like, you know, maybe it's more about the coaches than the actual GM. Um, it's like the coaches for not developing, their players and like of course McDavid's gonna do well because he's Connor McDavid but like if you're talking about like a random fifth round pick of that year then he you know he needs more time and he needs more patience um and that goes all on the coaches um not necessarily on who drafted him um and um as for Tom McClellan I I guess I could see why they fired him um it's interesting because as we'll get into it, um, so I mean, I don't know, I guess it makes sense to fire the coach in that sense, but um, I think Chirelli, I think I agree with you, I think Chirelli is on the move pretty soon. Uh, the bigger the bigger question was, uh, as we talked about last week, Coach uh, John Quel- Quenville was uh, fired last week. So we thought that at least the Blues, like, I guess it makes sense that the Blues didn't hire him because I think the Blackhawks have to uh, grant permission for teams to talk to him. So why would the Blackhawks grant permission to talk to the Blues? I understand that. Uh, But um, if you're going to fire a coach and there is a way better coach out there available... Um, why not get like what the Oilers should at least get like talk to Quenville? That seems a little strange to me. Um, just to like immediately hire uh Ken Hitchcock. Um, so that's what I'm more concerned about is the fact that Ken Hitchcock is the coach than the fact that, like, I don't know, that the fact that they even fired McClellan in the first place. Um, 
just because I there was I feel like there was a better coach available. I think a better, maybe not better, but on the long term, yeah. Because like you said, Ken Hitchcock just came out of retirement, basically, mm. to take this gig. How long is he going to be with the Oilers? Nobody knows. It could be a year. It could be two years. It could be three years. It could be four. It all depends on how this experiment works out and um, how on board Ken Hitchcock is with this idea of coaching um, moving forward. Because, you know, like you said, you know, once you retire for a couple of times, you're probably at some point going to say, okay, for, for real. I'm retiring now and I'm not coming back. So the Oilers, I can definitely see the Oilers at the end of the season deciding not to renew Ken Hitchcock's contract if things don't go well. And Todd, uh, and not Todd, um, Joel Quenville has found a job by them. In which case the Oilers are screwed because they don't have Ken Hitchcock and they missed out on Joel Quenville. And Joel Quenville, as far as coaches, it's as good as it gets right now. And with everything that's happening in the Eastern Conference with a couple of Pennsylvania teams in the hot seat, um, as far as coaching situations go, I think Joel Quenville probably goes there instead of somewhere in the Western Conference. Because in the case of both Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, I think both are going to need a shakeup as far as a leadership standpoint goes, as far as a coaching standpoint goes, because like you can, you can have Claude Drew as your captain. If you're Philly, you can have Sidney Crosby as your captain. Uh, uh, if you're Pittsburgh, you can have all the offense in the world, but right now they're getting exposed defensively, both of them, mostly yep. the flyers. And you're not going to get better unless you solve that. And I think the perfect guy for that job is Joel Quinville in both cases. So it would not surprise me, even in a couple of weeks from now, if if uh, Joel Quinville's coaching an Eastern Conference team. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I think like defense is a big issue for both teams. Um, we're about to, speaking of the Flyers. Uh, they, they didn't fire their coach, uh, although we all thought they might. Um, but it turns out Ron Hextall, not Dave Hextall, um, yeah. uh, got fired. Um, this I don't know. This is a little strange, too, because I guess I don't know who's the new GM now, but because uh, this just so, so literally this, just So happened. this is what President Paul Holmgren said on Hextall, why this decision came to light. And we're probably going to follow this up next week because we'll have of more course. information because this happened not even two hours before we recorded. So exactly. here's what Paul Holmgren said on Ron Hextall. It has become clear that we no longer share the same philosophical approach concerning the direction of the team. In light of these differences, we feel it's in the organization's best interest to make a change. And it should also be noted that the Flyers have gotten in, I think, two or three fights this year. Yeah. So their Broad Street Bullies identity is pretty lacking. And two of those fights happen like in the last two games. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's more like, uh, so I don't, I guess it's always a common thing whenever you fire a GM, they want to get their coach in place. And that's not never really the coach that they have in mind who's currently in. So I'd imagine Hackstall is, is Hackstall the coach um, is, you know, will soon be fired. Um, 
once they get a, a GM in place. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Paul Holmgren just steps in and takes over the GM duties until a new GM is announced. Because before his gig as Flyers president, that's what Paul Holmgren was. He was the right, GM. Right, exactly. So um, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Hackstall uh, uh, gets fired um, pretty soon. But it still seems like a strange move to fire the GM first before yeah. the coach. Yeah, um, why not fire both of them together? Or or fire them both together. Have, if you got a faith in Hacksaw. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or maybe the or maybe of uh, maybe ownership like Hackstall and Hackstall wanted to fire him and they said nope. Yeah, I don't know. Who I think. Who knows really? Yeah, who really knows? It's a good point, I guess. Um, but yeah, at the same time, it seems it seems a little strange there. We'll get more information. I uh, as you say that until next week, but. That's my initial thoughts. Is like why firing the GM and not ju- the coach as well. Um, but um, I imagine this may just be like a warning shot to Hackstall, like, "Hey, get your get your s together." Um, yeah. um, and um, and if if that doesn't work, then we'll uh, then you're fired too. So um, so yeah, well, it will be a time thing, I guess. Um, and, and, and again, I think this is another sign that points to Quendall coaching the Flyers because I think, I think um, Quenville is a is a lovable coach. He's got quite the personality. He, he can connect with players. Yeah. But if you see him on the bench, he's a fiery competitor. Yep. Like when you get him at, he's a fiery competitor, and he will not back down. For True. Anything. I mean, I so, think, and I think that that kind of fits the vision of what the Flyers are going for. They want to be a talented team right. that can beat you offensively, but they need to be better defensively, and they need to kind of give off that aura that they can't be pushed around. And as much as I prefer that the Flyers don't get into fights, because right. sometimes um, their aggressive behavior really ticks me off. Um, I think it's part of the reason why they're getting pushed around. Yep. Is the fact that they're not as physical, the fact that they're not as intimidating. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I, that's more to do with the coach than the GM, um, that they're not physical as much. Uh, but the thing, and also, like, nowadays in the new NHL, you're not really, um, you know, it's like it's less about the physicality and more about the, uh, the speed. Um, so I don't know if that's necessarily the big issue here. Um, but I will say for, as for Quenville, um, and the Flyers, I think it's like the same goes for every team. It's that, like, I don't know if necessarily a team wants to pay, uh, for two coaches, um, at the same time. Cause even like, let's say the Flyers do fire, um, Hackstall, um, I have to, <laughs> I have to make sure I get the pronunciations correct. Yeah. Um, the coach, um, they still have to pay him for that year, and then they also have to pay Quenville on top of that. So you're paying two coaches at the same time, and not to mention you have to get permission from the Blackhawks as well to, for them, uh, for him to talk to you even still. So. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that even goes with that in terms of why True. Quenville hasn't found his job yet. Hasn't True, found I, I'll definitely say that, but I think it's going to be easier 
because it's out of conference. Yeah. They're not in the West. That's they're, fair. they're in the East as opposed to Chicago. I'm just, I'm just saying that I think there are a couple of reasons why Quinville hasn't found a job yet. And the, those yeah. two were and, the big but ones. But that being said, if you're Philadelphia, if you're Pittsburgh, you look at the team. Yeah. You look at the current team that you have that's ready to win now. Yep. I don't think paying two coaches is going to be a problem for you if you want to win that badly. True. Especially when you consider that on top of maybe missing out on Quenville, your rival gets it. Yeah, I guess that's fair. I guess it's more that I don't know if necessarily the Blackhawks want to give them permission um, right away. Um, that could be something. Or Quenville was spotted uh, drinking, like he was tailgating with a couple of Bears fans at a Bears Reds, uh, Vikings game, like two weeks ago. So maybe he just wants uh, some time off. There, the, there's also a possibility that Quenville's just like, "Hey, I've been coaching for a while. Um, let me just relax for a bit before I stick my toes in another team." So um, mm. that could also be another factor. Yeah, that that's that's also <laughs> possible. But I think. I think the the case with St. Louis and with Edmonton, I think I think that's partially why that that might partially be one reason why Quenville didn't get oh, the, in the game same conference. Yeah. You, if you're Chicago, a you don't want Quenville going to a division rival, and b you don't want him going to a talented team like Edmonton, where if he figures them out, are probably going to be a threat for many many years. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go to the uh, are they for real section. So we have a little bit of a interesting twist to this uh, now. Uh, so it's it's always said that when uh, the the teams that are in the, the playoff position at the American Thanksgiving, that's um, that's like that's the usually um, who who makes it in um, when the playoffs start and um i don't know if it, like I, I i imagine it's it's not always accurate or like all 16 teams from thanksgiving makes it in like there's probably usually around two or three that don't make it in um so we thought to make this into a game but for the most part it's generally reliable that all these 16 teams will make it into the playoffs uh but a couple won't um, it's also the time when a lot of teams make these trades and make, um, make, uh, you know, uh, coach firings, uh, cause then they start to realize, oh, we, we, uh, you know, we can't make where this many points out of the playoffs. It's really because there's 20, like most teams have played 20 games at this point and they can really just start to decide on. Um, if they're high, if they're uh, buyers or sellers, um, come trade deadline. Even though trade deadline's in March, um, but you know it's still a it's still a it's a still a big thing. So, anyways, so I got <laughs> during Thanksgiving Day it was my only homework. Um, during Thanksgiving, I was celebrating. Um, I was with family, but uh, my co-host Steve was not celebrating because he is. Uh, not American. Um, Our, um, the, my uh, CFL team, the Red Blacks, uh, okay, playing in sure. the Great Cup on Sunday. So I guess that was my Thanksgiving. I guess in a way, in a weird way, yes. Um, but I, yeah, I was watching football too. But I screenshotted uh, the division standings for both the Eastern and Western Conference. 
Um, so as of 11-22, which was American Thanksgiving, these were the standings. The Atlantic Division, um, Tampa Bay is in first, Toronto is in second, Buffalo is in third. And then in the Metropolitan, you have Columbus in first, the Rangers in second, and Washington in third. And then the two wildcard spots were Buffalo, Boston and Montreal. Um, so I guess we can start it with just the Eastern Conference. So of those uh, eight teams in the Eastern Conference, who is in and who's out? So Tampa Bay, they're obviously in. Yep. Um, Louis Dominguez held his own. Um, Vasilevsky's probably going to be back in a couple of weeks. Andre Pollard is getting closer. Um, they have a lot of offensive depth. They should be fine. Uh, Toronto, um, they're still relying heavily on Frederick Anderson. He's faced over 35 shots in uh, three straight games prior to a rough ending against the Blue Jackets on Friday. Um, in three, uh, in all three of those three games, he posted a save percentage over 930. So Frederick Anderson is on point. Um, Andreas Johnson against Philly, he got a hat trick yep. in one period. So even guys like him are starting to pick it up. Um, Willie Nylander, who? With, with the, overall, without Matthews and Nylander, this team has played pretty yep. well. So I say Toronto's in. Okay. I think Buffalo's going to be in. Yep. I think doing something that hasn't been done in years, like nearing a 10-game winning streak, is absolutely insane. They're getting the goaltending. Uh, relatively Skinner. young team is buying into the coach's message. I think I think Buffalo is really going to surprise a lot of people now. I'm yep. really excited. I wouldn't be I'm surprised, like... that being said, if they missed out. Yep. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they got in. Columbus is probably a big question mark for me. It all depends on what happens with Panarin and Bobrovsky, to be honest. If, if they stay on board, they're in. Yep. If Bobrovsky stays on board, they're in. Uh, I think the biggest thing that could really set their season on fire is if Bobrovsky leaves. So um, those two contract negotiations are going to play a big role in their season. I don't think the Rangers are going to be in. I know they're relatively young they're impressing a lot of people philip uh, schleidel is impressing uh, neil pionk has been great on defense um offensive defenseman really um helping the rangers out and king henrik is doing king henrik things but um just the uncertainty at forward the uncertainty with this team in general there are a lot of unknowns i don't think the rangers are going to be in uh, Washington hasn't lived up to their full potential, but I think they're eventually going to get it together. I think they're going to be in. Um, Boston is in trouble if Rast doesn't return to his old self. Yep. But I think they're at least a good third seed wildcard team. I don't think Montreal's in because they have so many unknowns, like the Rangers. I mean, Domi and Druin are playing well. Tatar exceeding my expectations by miles right yep. now but they've been getting exposed in the last couple of games that they played and i think it's going to catch up to them and it's going to blow up right in their face yeah so i i agree that tampa toronto and buffalo are in um i also agree that columbus and washington are also in um 
well, although uh interesting stat that I saw today that uh like Washington is like two three and one with Tom Wilson in now. Um so it's like it's even more of a show that Tom Wilson is a factor uh for them and I think like Tom Wilson's like off to a really hot start too. Um so uh so now like the standings right now, Washington is in first in the Metro. Um, the Rangers, I am impressed by them. I did kind of, uh, not to, uh, uh, toot my own horn, but I'm going to toot my own horn. The Rangers, um, actually are what I thought, what I predicted them to be, um, basically like in the playoff hunt. Um, but like there are definitely some lapses, um, in their, um, in their, you know, in some of the games that they play. So it's not like they're necessarily a lock in the playoffs so i'm gonna say that they're a wild card team uh like in the wild card hunt at least um i would say also but like you know philip Heedle, um had has a like he had five goals in five games uh consecutive games uh he's kind of stopped that for now but um you know chris Kreider has been healthy um, I thought Kevin Shattenkirk was going to be healthy too, but it seems like Neil Pionk has um, kind of taken over for that. Um, so I still think, like, even though they said that they're rebuilding and all that stuff, but I still think the Rangers are better off than um, than what they let on last year. Um, so we'll see about that. A wild card, I am concerned about Boston... Uh, mostly because of Bergeron. I am, uh, we'll talk about this in the Bruins Send segment, but I am concerned about, I mean, they did beat Pittsburgh, they did beat Montreal, um, but then again, they lost to Detroit in OT. Um, and it's all going to come down to their depth, and I'm not sure if it's there yet, um, especially with all these injuries. If, if Bergeron and Chara are out, even longer than they've been out right now. And McAvoy, I can include him in there too. Those three are out for even longer than just a month. Um, I am concerned about how the Bruins are going to finish. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to even make the playoffs. Um, so, And the same can be said for Montreal. I, like Even Carey Price hasn't been great, but their offense has been... Um, much better than I thought they would be. Max Domi has kind of been a revelation now. He has 26 points in 24 games. Um, and Thomas Tatar has also been good. So um, I thought all their offseason moves were going to backfire. But it seems like the biggest issue is their goaltending, which is kind of funny because that was like it was, used to be the opposite where we were worried about their offense and not their goaltending because Carey Price was always a brick wall. But now Carey Price isn't a brick wall, and it's all about um, their offense that has kind of uh, put them in, into the spot that they're they're at right now. Um, I think so, it's partially yep. on Carey Price, and the other part is on their defensive structure as a team. I don't think it's hmm. nowhere near good enough either. So yeah, and, and but they they'll get a Shea Weber back, um, so that should help them too. Yeah, I don't know. An aging Shea Weber with injury issues, I, I, I think that's only going to do so much, to be honest. Um, and also another factor is is when I'm just looking at all the other teams that are outside looking in, 
I'm not sure any of them are really playoff worthy other than maybe Pittsburgh, if they can somehow figure it out um, with mm-hmm. Matt Murray and what's going on with him. Um, maybe Detroit, maybe Ottawa. I don't know. Maybe Florida. <laughs> but I feel uh, like... I wouldn't go too far know. with Ottawa, but... Right. That's well, that's what I'm saying. I, I, I don't feel confident in Detroit. And I don't really feel confident with Florida, especially now that they don't have Trocheck. And I, I, I would... I know he's technically not out for the season, but I, I imagine he is out for the season. So the only team that's out of the playoffs that I could see make it in is Pittsburgh. And that's only because it's like tough to count those guys out. Um, but they're, you know, they could they could make a run, but those are the, that's the only team that I could see make it in. Maybe the Islanders too. Um, currently the Islanders are in third in the Metro, so... Um, that is certainly possible, but maybe Carolina, if they can get their goaltending figured out, but I don't know. I don't, I, I think I could see maybe two of these, uh, teams making it in. Um, but I think it's, I don't know. I, uh, but like Pittsburgh is very far back from where they were. So they have to get on some sort of run if they were to do it. But I think that's like the team that would make the most sense to get in at the moment. Yeah. Maybe the Islanders. Maybe I'm disregarding the Islanders as well. But um, Don't forget New Jersey. New Jersey, New if, if, they, if they play solid defensive hockey, I think they could get in too. But. Yeah, New Jersey is an interesting team as well. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Ottawa would be interesting, though, because I know, you know, their defense isn't great, obviously, but... Um, if Anderson is all world for them, yeah. maybe they have a chance, but right. he's not I, all world for them and they've still lost. So. I'd say they still have a decent team though, still with like Duchesne, Mark Stone. Oh, um, they have a decent team offensively. And now. Offensively, that's where everything right. goes. Right, of to course. Go. So like, I, I think they have a shot at least, but um, I don't yeah, know. They have I a think shot. it's not very good. But exactly. They have a shot. So I don't know. Just just because I <laughs> I just. I guess I just went over every team here. Um, I think Tampa, Buffalo, Toronto stays in. Uh, Columbus, I think, stays in. And Washington stays in. So those are five that are definite locks. Um, And then the other three, which are Boston, Montreal, and New York, the Rangers. I'm not... I don't think they... um, I wouldn't be surprised if they stay in. But I'd also, I think they're the most at risk at the moment. Buffalo um, and Columbus are my maybes, but for sure Washington, uh, but, but, sorry, but for sure the Rangers and Habs yep. will not be. Okay, so sure you're even be. more definite with those two. I'm I'm more maybes on the Rangers and the Habs um, yeah. and, the, and the Bruins there. Um, Western Conference. So, and also, who said I I was uh, biased? You know, it's like a, <laughs> I don't think the Bruins are gonna make it into the playoffs. Um, all right, let's go to the we- uh, the Western Conference here. Uh, the Central um, was Nashville at this moment. Nashville, Minnesota, and Winnipeg Winnipeg are your top three in the Central. Uh, Pacific was Calgary, San Jose, Anaheim. Um, and then we have the wild card, which is Colorado and Dallas. Um, so 
I, I mean, I guess since you started first in the Eastern Conference, I guess I'll start now in the second in the Western Conference. The um, I think uh, Minnesota has been really good. I don't know if they'll finish second in the Central, especially since Winnipeg and Colorado have been um, really good. So I don't know if I feel like they're going to slip a little bit. Um, I think either way, the the Central has both wildcard spots. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if it's Minnesota in there, but we'll see. Um, and then in the Pacific, um, that's a little bit tougher, I think, because I feel like Vegas and Anaheim are just um, are slow to start. Um, it's tough to see. I, I think Arizona could make a run, maybe. Um, I could see, um, even, you know, I, I guess we all kind of predicted Vancouver to slide a bit and that's what happened. Um, Anaheim may, uh, has been decent lately, um, despite all their injuries. So, um, I don't know. I think, I guess we're doing this, uh, this way of the, for sure, the, the locks, Nashville, Winnipeg, uh, Calgary and San Jose, um, in Anaheim, I guess. Um, and, oh, and Colorado. Uh, so that's five. Um, and I'm not sure about Anaheim with their depth, um, and, uh, their, their scoring. Like we know John Gibson is legit. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if, about their forward group. Um, so that I'm unsure about, um, Dallas is still pretty iffy. Um, it always seems like they uh, they kind of slow down every uh, towards the end of the year. Their depth issues have always been concerning as well. So I'm not necessarily sure they're in. Um, and I guess Minnesota, but uh, I've always like they've surprised me so far. Um, and I'm not sure if they're going to. Um, you know, be good anymore. Uh, Nashville is a lock because they've been, you know, they've been an elite team throughout Winnipeg. I am a little concerned about Hellebuck. Um, he hasn't been himself lately, but I think their forward group is just too good um, to be, you know, to miss out on the playoffs. So I, I don't know. I feel like they're like, they're just not trying as much. I, I saw this, uh, I was hearing something where it felt like they were playing, you know, they weren't like playing to the best of their potential. And eventually, like in the second half, they will play to their potential. Uh, Calgary, I am also concerned about Mike Smith uh, versus David Riddick. Although I guess Riddick has been pretty good. Uh, but their, you know, their forward group is pretty solid right now with Gaudreau, Monaghan, uh, Elias Lindholm, we haven't even talked about Elias Lindholm, but um, those guys have been pretty good. Um, so that top line has been decent enough. And now that they have Hannafin scoring, so I think they're pretty decent if they can get, if Riddick can uh, continue this hot streak. Um, and who knows what's going on with Mike Smith. San Jose has been kind of, you know, they were slow to start, but they've, they've picked it up recently. 
Um, Colorado has been one of the best teams in the league uh, with their top line of McKinnon, Rantanen, and um, um, Landeskog. But, um, and their goaltending's up there too. So um, I, think, I think they're in Dallas I'm a little concerned about. But again, they have even, a, like in the Western Conference, they have a, an even uh, weirder style where I'm not even sure of the teams looking in. I'm not sure of um, teams that could replay, like who, who has a good shot. Um, I guess the Blackhawks, maybe the Canucks. Um, the Canucks still have defensive issues. The Coyotes could make a run. The Kings, maybe could make a run although that seems kind of silly now um so i don't know the oilers even i don't know it seems like the western conference uh is a little bit more shaky vegas is i guess the only team that i could see making it in yeah i i think vegas is probably the obvious choice of the non-playoff teams that could get in nashville's about as close to a lock as you can get even with injuries to Arvidsson, even yeah. with injuries to Kyle Turris. They're still a very good team and probably the front runners for the Central. Um, I don't know where Minnesota's going to finish, but they're going to be in the playoff mix. I mean, okay. Matt Dumba's been unreal for them um, offensively yep. um, on defense. And Mikhail Granlin has been good for them. Ryan Suter and Zach Parise have both been healthy. Both have been contributing. That's been huge for them. Um, the big question is obviously how deep they're going to go once they get to the playoffs and and winnipeg it obviously goes without saying um their offense is catching fire particularly patrick line um i think once tyler myers uh, starts uh, picking it up a little bit i think they're going to be even better um calgary is an interesting case they're a question mark for me because one of their two boys i don't care if it's mike smith i don't care if it's david riddick one of them needs to grab the bull by the horns and carry this team. If that doesn't happen, I don't think Calgary's going to be a playoff team this year. But they have a very good first line. I think they have enough depth. I think they have enough defense where they could uh, where they could make some noise. They're really starting to click as a unit now. Yep. And uh, their goaltending has been a big reason for that. Um, the Sharks, like I said many times before they have too much talent to not miss the playoffs um so uh they have too much talent to to miss the miss the playoffs whatever sentence yeah (laughs) whatever position it is i'm not quite sure which which sounds better they're just words yeah (laughs) um but yeah san jose like i said um I'm expecting them to be a playoff team. I'm expecting them to be a contender. Even if Jones and Dell are average, I think they're still good enough to be a playoff team. Uh, they can they can definitely be a lot better, but I think they're still going to be a playoff team when it's all said and done. Anaheim, injuries and depth scare the heck out of me. So they're probably the team that I think is going to be swapped out. Uh, Colorado, their top line's too good. Um, their depth is starting to show a little bit. Their goaltending's been okay, but they're good enough to be a playoff team. And I, I, I think Dallas could maybe get by. So Cal- Calgary and Dallas are my maybes. At, uh, Anaheim for sure won't be in. Okay. And everyone else is in. So who would you say is going to be in if it's not Anaheim? Vegas? 
I would say Vegas, yeah. Okay. And uh, any any other team that's not in current uh, in from the Thanksgiving standings that you think should be in that isn't. I think should be in. Um Oh boy, that's a that's a tough question. Depending on what happens with Edmonton, maybe. Okay. Arizona could be a maybe, depending. Uh, it, it all depends. They've they've started to struggle just a little bit. Yep. And uh, Ranta got exposed big time against the Flames uh, on Sunday. True. So, um, I don't know how effective he's going to be down the stretch. We haven't seen him um, play consistently solid for a full season yet. So. Uh, that's going to be a challenge for them. Um, but, yeah, I think Edmonton and Arizona maybe could find their way into the picture. Uh, for sure, Vegas, I think they're the most likely to come back. But, yep. um, yeah, those those would be the three teams that pop into my mind that I would consider to um, usurp one of the teams um, on uh, Thanksgiving Day uh, in the playoff race. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, maybe Chicago if they can figure something out. Yeah, um, <laughs> Chicago might be a stretch. Maybe I think they're about as big of a stretch as St. Louis, to be honest. Yeah, I guess that's fair. It's more. I I feel like Corey Crawford hasn't found his second gear yet, but once he does, I think they could be in. But mm-hmm. I, I I see I see your concern. Um, Rapid fire. We only have a couple stuff because we figured we would be taking long on the main topics and the um, are they for real section, and we did. We're about an hour in. So, um, anyways, the biggest news I guess was uh, this week, other than all the the coach firings, was uh, Vincent Trocheck had this like nasty uh, ankle sprain where it looked like his like foot was about to fall off. It was. It was one of the worst um, injuries I saw, or you know, just videos you saw. It was against. Yeah, and it's and it turned yeah. out to not be an ankle sprain. It turned out to be a fractured ankle that required surgery. Yep, and, and he even, uh, though, even yeah. though Dale Talon, the Panthers GM, to to ruled him out, I think a lot of us are thinking he's yeah. probably done. Um, yeah, Dale, T- I was about to get to that. Uh, T- Dale Talon said, Vinny is a tremendous competitor and leader for a club. It's never easy to see a player in person like him suffer an injury like this, but we are confident that he will make a full recovery and be back on the ice with our team this season. Um, having said that, I do, like, I, I understand that it's, it's a pet peeve of mine that it's like, you know, playing injured and whatnot, but like, I I would be shocked if I see him uh, playing another game this season. Um, I, of course, I would love to see him be healthy and all that stuff, but um, you know, and I wish him the best. But I just don't. I like that, that was a horrific injury. I I just don't see how he could play at all. Um, like, and at that point, it's like, all right, if you're so he has surgery. Um, he's at least out for maybe like three months. So at that point, it's like, you know, it's going to be March. Florida may not even be in the playoffs at this point. Like why even risk, uh, putting him up there if he's not a hundred percent and you're not even like in playoff position. So, um, so I feel like there's not a really a potential to, um, to like even say something like that. Um, I don't know. 
I, I with a, with a, with a top end talent like Trojan, yeah. like he's one of their top scorers. He's one of their best players. Yeah. We, we talk about all the time that you shouldn't be rushing guys through injuries just to, to get them back for a certain point in the campaign. Right. And this injury, especially like this could slow down his career big time. If exactly. He gets rushed back into it too soon. Yeah. Like fractured ankles are no joke. Exactly. So, so that's why I feel like even if he is healthy and ready to go on onto the ice, I don't know if he's going to be the same Vinny Trocek that we like that we got last year. Um, mm-hmm. I got which, hope- is, which is why they need to be careful with that. Exactly. So that's why I'm I'm a little bit like I I'm concerned by the the Talon's comments. So I'm like, just take his time. Like I understand he's Trocek and you only have so much time with the this group of players but um and you know Trocek is an unbelievable player but at the same time it's you know <laughs> what like you, you, you don't want to make it worse um so even if even if know. they're leading the division yeah even if they're leading the Atlantic somehow I would be nervous to put him back in exactly so um so I, I would just be like all right just just give him as much time as he wants and like I know it's gonna hurt in the short term whatever that's fine but um but like like and i get that he's tough or whatever but it just it, it always annoys me when it, like even gms say that like as like oh he's he, i can i'm confident he'll be here this season it's just like no he's not it's like i can already tell you he's not ready um as much as like i mean i i would love if i would love to be proven wrong on that i should reiterate <laughs> But I, I just don't see it. Um, Matt Murray is another one um, that we should get into. Uh, this time, so he was already on the IR before for a concussion. But it looks like this time he was on the uh, on the IR for a lower body injury. Um, it says here that it's a longer term lower body injury. So we're not necessarily sure how long he's out for. Um, he is out indefinitely, though. Um it's a, a pre- as much as I need Murray on my fantasy team, yeah. again, don't rush this guy. Exactly, because yeah. Because when these injuries become a recurring theme and he keeps getting hurt and he's not 100%, you're doing yourself no favors yeah. by rushing him back. For so. sure. He, he has He's had injury history before, um, especially last year. So, um, yeah, this is another case where it's like if you're injured, um, you know, maybe uh, just, like, give him some more time. Um, yeah. Even if he feels especially healthy. when he hasn't been doing well, he's been battling this for a couple exactly. weeks, and maybe it thing, and maybe it dawns on you, gee, maybe this is why he's struggling and yep. he's not getting us wins. Uh, Mike Sullivan says that this is something that he's been de- dealing with for a couple weeks, and the decision was made this morning to rest and see if that gives him an opportunity to heal. So that's where we're at. Um, yeah, Murray has a eight thirty save percentage. At the moment, so that's like Even worse in the last four games. It's over four right now. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, that's not good. Um, and then uh, lastly, this is a trade that happened last night, um, and we didn't really have a ton of time to prepare, but I think I have some initial thoughts here. Uh, Nick Schmaltz goes to Arizona for Dylan Strom and Brandon Perlini. Um, as if you recall, Dylan Strom was the 2015 third overall pick. He just went after Eichel and McDavid. 
in the 2015 draft. Um, so he had a lot of patience. He had a lot of, not patience, but he had a lot of, t- um, you know, he was he played on uh, McDavid's OHL team, and he's going to a team with uh, Alex DeBrincat, who, um, who uh, Strom had a lot of chemistry with um, there um, in Erie. So, so there's the plus side. Um, it still seems kind of weird for me. I'm usually in favor of John Chayka's moves um, and trades, but this one I don't quite understand. Um, I understand if you're, if you want to, like, if you don't believe in Dylan Strom a ton, but like to get Nick Schmaltz back, it's not like, or I mean, Nick Schmaltz, he's not like necessarily a, um, you know, someone you trade your best prospect, um, to, to get. And um, so Cheka says that when discussing trading Strom and Perlini, Coyotes GM John Cheka said there is a difference between patience and hope. The latter is not a way to build your organization. So that's taking a shot at Strom and Perlini, that he doesn't feel like, um, you know, that Perlini and Strom will ever be uh, uh, good NHL players. And that's where I'm like... I'm not sure if that's necessarily true because Dylan Strom, if you look at his time on ice, he doesn't like he's been on like the fourth and third line for most of his time there. Um, so it's like, of course he's not gonna do well if you're giving him 13 minutes of ice um, at the moment. So that's that's where it's frustrating um, in that sense. Um, but you know maybe he'll get it together in Chicago. He has to bring cat, um, and, um, and you know, maybe Patrick Kane will be on his line. Who knows? Um, but it could be, uh, um, it could be helpful for Dylan Strom if he gets on to the, uh, Blackhawks, uh, top six. So, um, uh, interesting thing about Chicago, um, they drafted five people in the first round between 2011 and 2014, and every single one of those players have been traded away now. Mm. Um, so that's fun. Uh, they had zero first round picks in 2015 and 2016, uh, to add insult to injury. So once again, this is a trade that they hope is going to shake up their roster and deliver results. And when you look at, uh, the, the track record of Jonathan Tays, Mr. Captain Sirius, Solid example on and off the ice. You look at Patrick Kane, one of the best playmakers in the game. Um, and Dylan Strom, even though he hasn't played that much ice time this year, he has six points in 20 NHL games. Um, like you say, he could easily find a role with either one of those guys. Yep. He also has a familiar face in Alex Dabrinkit, uh, who he was teammates with during some dominant years with the OHL's Erie Otters. As I mentioned. Taking a look at some of the stats that they had strom in 2015-2016 had 111 points in 56 games that year alex had 51 goals and 101 points in 60 games played uh the next year 2016-2017 65 goals and 107 and 127 points for debrinket in 63 games strom had 75 points in just 35 ohl games mm. and um he also followed that up with a big playoffs uh, as well. So there's definitely a lot of chemistry with them. I That being said, I can understand why the Coyotes might be willing to move away from 
Dylan Strome, given how the value of Ryan Strome has deteriorated over the years, maybe they're worried Dylan will be the same and he won't pan out. I mean, yes. not every single player that tears it up in junior is going to have a successful NHL career. And you look at Dylan Strome, last year he was a point-per-game player in the AHL. But again, the AHL is not the NHL. It doesn't right. always work out for the player. So maybe it's going to, in order for Dylan Strome to be successful, maybe he needed some role models to look up to, to play alongside with, just to get that yeah. confidence factor. Because I, he's basically, I think he's been thrown into the fire there hasn't been enough veteran leadership to really get his confidence up, to get him to that level where he can play good, consistent hockey yeah, for them. I guess that's... So, oh, I, think, I think that's going to help Stroman Perlini is the veteran help of of the Blackhawks, something that Arizona doesn't have enough of. I guess and, that's... And, and I think they also have a young coach in Jeremy Colton that can help him out with that. I guess that's fair, but at the same time, it's like, you know... Dylan Strom has 13 minutes of ice time. You can't, like, be effective with 13 minutes of ice time oh, on no, average. No. So I think that has part to do with it. It's like, it's one thing, just, like, fine. If you've given up hope with him, fine. But at least put him on the top six for some time so that you don't, like, you know, so you see what you have at least. Like, don't just give up on him just because he's not, like, you because you didn't put him in a in the right spots to secede. It's not like, you know, so that's that's where it's more frustrating to me. It's like, um, I cannot, like, Dylan Strom hasn't been good now, but you're not giving him enough minutes for him to be good. Yeah, and I think they're kind of taking a bit of a risk with Nick Schmaltz, yeah. that being said, because you you look at um, what he's been able to do in Chicago, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and and I think this is another reason why Chicago made the trade. Nick Schmaltz is going to be uh, an RFA on Canada Day this year. He's in the final year of his entry-level contract. Um, Perlini has got this season to play out before he needs to be re-signed. Dylan Strom, they have one year of club control on his entry-level beyond this year. So I think for the cap situation, this is going to help Chicago because yeah. if you look at what uh, Nick Schmaltz did last year with Chicago, 21 points in 52 and uh, 21 goals in 52. Uh, yeah, I stumbled. 21 goals, 52 points last year with yep. Chicago. And Patrick Kane was utilized on his line the majority of the time. It, he wasn't often on an identical pairing for most of it. But in the lines that he was juggled around with, Patrick Kane was probably the most consistent line mate out right. of all of them. And of the set of the 11 points he scored this year, Kane was involved in six of them of the 52 points that he scored last year. Kane was involved in 24 of them. So now that Patrick Kane isn't going with him to Arizona, how effective is he going to be for the coyotes is the question yeah. that I have. That's, that's a good point. Um, but at the same time, it's like, he's still not like a, like most of those were assist. Um, he had 21 goals last year. Um, so that's still not bad, but yeah, again, I don't know if he's worth two young players like Strom and Perlini 
Um, Especially when yeah. Stroman Perlini could turn out to be valuable assets for yeah. Chicago. Nick Nick Schmoltz is like a good depth player for sure, but I don't know if he's worth um worth I feel like Arizona over uh sold oversold them. I think they uh, I think they undervalued under just how good Dylan Strom and Brendan Perlini could yeah, be. I agree with that. And I like it, it's weird because like I usually like Sheka's moves, but yeah. I you know this one I is more a question mark. It's like and what? he's made a couple where we've yeah. kind of been scratching our heads. This isn't the first one either. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Um, and it's also speaking of that, uh, Chicago and Arizona seem to be trading all the time now. Uh, yeah. They had um. There was Jolison, there was Hosa. Hinnestroza um, was another one, yeah. I think so. Hinnestroza was part of the Hosa deal, but yeah. Um, the Stepan, no, it's not Stepan. I was going to say. Ranta, Ranta Ran- was another one. Was no, no, it? Ranta was no. through the Rangers, yeah. No, Ranta was through the Rangers, right, okay. Um, I was thinking that too, but no, but um, yeah, so uh, it, is, it is interesting because they both have guys on like former Blackhawks on the Coyotes and former Coyotes on the Blackhawks. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But um, for now, uh, we're doing Bruins and Sens segment. I have here that I, I'm going first. Okay. Um, so I'll go first. Uh, for the first bit of news, though, uh, it's kind of sad because I did mention last week that Bergeron was injured. I didn't know his timetable, but it appears that he's out four weeks or a month. Um, and this is a bigger concern because, you know, last year, we you know, Bergeron missed a couple of games. Um, and Riley Nash stepped up and um, a couple of other players. Danton Heinen stepped up a bit. Um, and, though, and now we don't... Riley Nash is now in Columbus uh, playing another death role. Um, and we don't, and Danton Heinen hasn't been as great. So I am kind of concerned about what's going to happen now. Um, apparently Jacob Forsbacher Carlson is now our top line center, which is, uh, which is kind of cool too. Um, so that, that's exciting. But I, I, as I mentioned earlier on in this episode, I am really concerned with, um, <clears throat> how Boston's going to do now. Especially when we don't have Chara and McAvoy on our back end um, for long. And so this could be, we're looking at a team, it's interesting too, because Bergeron and Chara were both big, um, you know, leaders for our team. And they have been for the past decade or so. Um, And now I'm not so sure, like, who's going to step up in a leadership role now that those two guys are injured for the month. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to think that our depth is up there, um, but it's now it's their time to truly shine, and that's that's been a thing. So we'll see how it goes. Um, for now, it looks like it's, it's going pretty well. Um, so on Wednesday, they played the uh, Red Wings, um, the Jacob Forsbacher Carlson got a goal, his second of the year. Um, it was unassisted. Um, then Tyler Bertuzzi scores and the, this is all in the second period. There was no scoring in the first. Um, then in the third period, Chris Wagner gets his second goal. Um, his first goal, if you remember way back when, 
it kind of like hit Chris Wagner and then it went in like it was it was a deflected shot but like Chris Wagner was on the ground somehow um and it deflected off of his like foot or something so like this was the first goal where he actually like shot it and it went in so that was nice to see because he was a you know he was a free agent guy um so uh, but then um the AA club I guess is what we're calling him now double a um he uh he makes his moves he's He's been phenomenal. Um, I don't know if you saw, but he's been on like a really hot streak now. Double um, A, Athanasio. So he gets a goal to tie things up in the third, and then in overtime he uh, he scores. Um, Rask actually played pr decently. Um, I mean, he did give up three goals, but he still played pretty well. Um, so I'm not that concerned. I'm more concerned about the rest of our team now um but um yeah Rask played okay um then we go to the Pittsburgh the Bruins played Pittsburgh uh this I didn't see a ton of uh just full disclosure here but I can tell you that Malkin scored in the second um then you have Jake DeBrus scoring a couple minutes later um also in the second um, and then it goes to overtime, and Joe Kim Nordstrom, of all people, uh, he scores in overtime. Um, so, yeah, this was a nice game, too. Um, Halleck played unbelievable. Um, he had 36 saves on 37 shots. Um, so, um, it was one of those games where, like, both teams didn't really play great, but, um, you know, win's a win. Uh, so, I'll take it, but... Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of an uneventful game, which is kind of surprising because Pittsburgh and Boston usually have exciting games, but this one wasn't as exciting. Um, and then, uh, on the next day, the Bruins played the Habs. Um, this was kind of frustrating, um, towards the third period because, uh, so Bacchus gets his first goal, which was awesome. Then Jake DeBrus scores again, which is also awesome because, you know, I've been talking about the depth and stuff. So Jake DeBrus has kind of taken his uh, skills to the next level. So I love that, um, especially when guys like Donato and um, is, you know, in Providence and guys like Bjork and um, Heinen, who are all supposed to help out in Boston, um, haven't really helped out. Um, so there is that effect now, but, um, at least Nebraska is in, um, so that's good. Um, and then in the third period, you have Jonathan Druin, which with a nice shot. Um, and, and then you have Thomas Tatar. He scores to tie things up. Um, and I was like, all right, this, <laughs> this is going to be our typical, like, of course, the Montreal is going to win this game. And then in the last like minute or so, uh, the Bruins are on a power play, and uh, John Moore gets a goal, a power play goal, um, and David Backus gets an assist. Um, so that was his first two points of the year for David Pack uh, for David Backus. Oh, well, actually, no, he had one point before. Let's scratch what I just said. He had one point before that game, um, and then he had two points now, so he doubled his his point total. Um, in just in that one game 
but um but yeah it's you know it's one of those things where it's like I'm taking all the, like, with Bergeron and Chara and McAvoy out, I don't expect a ton. Um, I know we still have Pasternak and we still have Marshawn, but I, I you know, I think those guys are, those, those Bergeron and Chara are, like, the lifeblood of the team. Um, and that means that Tuca has to step up, Marshawn has to step up, Pasternak has to step up. And um, so... I'm taking, if we can get points, even if we lose in overtime in a frustrating way, I'm okay with it because it's like, hey, at least we have points while, like, we have to take advantage of all the points that we could possibly get when Bergeron and Char are out. Because um, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm, <laughs> I think we might be losing all our games um, if we don't have those guys. So it, it's, it's very important that we uh, at least... At least, it, at least it's nice to see that we've we've won a couple of these games. Um, I'm just hoping that the the back doesn't fall off, so to speak. Uh, tonight on Monday, the Bruins play Toronto. Then on Thursday, they play the Islanders, um, and I think uh, they also play on Saturday. Hold on, oh yeah, so they also play Detroit again on Saturday. So, um, yeah, uh, those are interesting games, especially Toronto. Um, so that should be fun. Yeah, the least should be an interesting test. Uh, the Suns had a pretty interesting week as well. The game against Florida in particular, um, down four to one after 20 minutes. Um, before all of that, that's when the craziness happens. So first off, during a TV timeout, uh, the Suns paid – uh, respects to Mike Foley, uh, their longtime equipment manager for the team, basically dating back to their early days. Uh, passed away from colon cancer recently at the age of 61. Very classy tribute. Um, as the late stages of the first period were winding down, paramedics came in to help an elderly man at the 100 level who had a medical emergency. Uh, later found out it was a heart attack. And... Um, of course, the 100 level, as I'm sure you know, it's close to the field of play. So probably best for anyone trying to help this man and for the man himself, frankly, uh, to stay quiet. So the best way to do that was to stop play. Um, the teams understood. They went to the dressing room. So they played the final three minutes and 37 seconds of the first period after the intermission. And then they would switch sides a couple minutes later. Everything would be status quo. We play on. Before the first period technically ends, then the Trocheck injury happens. They have to get the stretcher out that delays the game for another five to ten minutes, and understandably so because it was very serious. Uh, but all in all, just a crazy, quiet, and somber atmosphere um, in that first period, the late stages especially. So uh, once the second period actually got underway, uh, the Sens came alive. They outshot Florida 30-18 to 18 in the final two periods combined. Um, they were down 4-1. to one. They made the score 4-3. to three. They were down 6-3 after two. They made the score 6-5 to five with 10 minutes left. So they had plenty of time to tie it. They were pressing all over. And then Mike Hoffman, of all people, has to extend his point streak and put the dagger in Ottawa's hearts to make it 7-5. to five. So that's how that game ended. Um, then we go to 
uh, the game against Minnesota, where Ottawa once again had to battle back. They were down four to one after two periods. Um, they end up tying the game with three unanswered, but ultimately lose the game six to four. Um, so again, the Sens were down. They kept fighting. They made the game interesting. Unfortunately, didn't get any points out of that, but at least they're showing effort. And then we go to the game against Dallas. They gave up 54 shots. Craig Anderson once again had to play like Craig Anderson and hold his team in the game. And again, down by three goals in the third period. Didn't matter. Battle back. Made it 5-4. to four. And um, again, they lost, but again, they're showing fights. So um, at, at least, like I said, show me some effort. Show me that no matter what the score is, you're going to compete. That's all I'm asking from this team, and they have delivered that. Thomas Shabbat continues to put up points. Duchesne is looking very good. Brady Kachuk is impressing. Drake Batherson um, is showing chemistry with Matt Duchesne, which is good. Um, Craig Anderson, like I said, doing what he can in goal. Like I said, they need uh, to get results. Uh, now, taking a look at their schedule this week, and um, we have some off-ice news to get to, so this isn't the end of the segment, but figured we should rhyme off uh, what they have uh, on deck this week. Um, they are playing the Rangers Monday night, so by the time you hear this podcast, you'll know the result for that game, so we'll recap that next week. They also have a road game in Philadelphia, a home game against the New York Rangers, and then the game that everyone's had circled on their calendars, Eric Carlson comes home Saturday night as the Sharks come to town. So that Ooh, should be a very interesting that should be fun. Now, behind the scenes, it was also eventful because the Sens traded Chris Weidman to the Edmonton Oilers. On Thanksgiving Day. Six-round pick. Can you believe that, Brett? A six-round pick. For well, I'm more game. surprised that it was on Thanksgiving Day. What was on Thanksgiving Day? That trade. Oh, oh, that the trade happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you would think no, no hockey games, nothing well, eventful is going to happen. Because Brian Burke, Brian Burke, famously said that he doesn't want to trade during Thanksgiving or Christmas because uh, so, players so are. They broke a code. They broke a Brian Burke code. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, they're because players are in um you know because they're with their families and you don't want to tell the the. The players and Chris when Wyman when... is American. Is he American? As well. Oh, I thought he was Canadian because I was about to say what, but no. it's between two no, Canadian Chris teams. No, American. Oh, he's American. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so he was traded on Thanksgiving while he was eating dinner, I guess. Yeah, probably. that's when he found out about it. Yeah, so that's the only issue I have with it, but... <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and the issue I have with it is that we only got a six-round pick in 2020 out of yeah, it. Yeah, I guess that's I mean, true. he's a good young defenseman. I think he's worth more than a six-round pick. Maybe the yeah. reason why is because he doesn't have much term to his contract, but still. <laughs> uh, I wonder what Ottawa's asset management is like these days. Um, yeah, that's fair. So that's not the biggest news, though. Wednesday and Thursday of last week, we get word that the NCC, short for the National Capital Commission, has given the rendezvous of Breton Group until January to resolve any differences. Now, for those of you who haven't lived in Ottawa like me, you probably don't know a lot about the NCC. So the Sens were hoping to get land for a new downtown arena shortly after they got a franchise in 1993. 
They were playing games at the Civic Center, now called TD Place, where the 67s play, where the Ottawa Red Blacks play. And so this is on Bank Street. This is in downtown Ottawa. So they wanted to stay in the downtown area. They wanted to uh, build a new arena downtown. They did not get the land that they needed from the NCC to make it happen, hence the move to Canada, an area not nearly as big and widespread as it is today. The NCC, this time around, isn't against the idea. But in these circumstances, the side that maybe is at fault is Rendezvous Le Breton, because apparently the NCC thinks they're holding up the process. And a day after we get wind of that, Eugene Melnick turns around and sues his business partner, John Ruddy, a big face of Trinity Developments, a part of this Rendezvous Le Breton group. And so the backstory behind this is there's a boatload of housing that's getting built just down the road from Le Breton Flats. This is on Albert Street. Melnick is pulling out the conflict of interest card because he feels Ruddy is paying more attention to that project instead of the Le Breton one. That doesn't sit well with them. And here's the kicker. Melnick is also upset the mayor's office because he felt as if he was threatened to press on with this venture and bad things were going to happen if he didn't, that the relationship with the mayor of Ottawa would be soured if he did not press on with this project. I'm not saying that Melnick is to blame for all of this, but the track record on this guy and the poor approval rating in the minds of Ottawa residents does not make this look very good on Eugene Melnick's resume. And it just seems that every single time something for the greater good of the Sens franchise comes along, it's on the line, it always goes back to money and personal gain. That's what it seems like. I'm not saying that's what it is like. That's what it seems like to the Sens fans. And right now, he's not yapping on and on about, oh, how poor right now. Team's not expected to do all that well this year anyway, so what does it matter? But if you look five years down the road and this team is winning and the fans are still not showing up aren't we back to square one here yes does it all sorry that this team will never take that next step in the right direction from a fan base unless a new downtown arena is built i will to warm up to the idea of an arena in this area of ottawa in downtown ottawa but for the greater good of this team, it, it has, it's, you're, you're going to be getting more people from Gatineau, from Orleans, more people maybe from Brooklyn, having an easier time getting to these games. Those are the untapped markets. Might be more tempted to show up to more games, but maybe can't because of the bad travel to and from Canada. It's just really the property talking about. Only used for life. That's about it. Out of out of that they don't use it for anything getting close enough to the arena so transit's going to be a plus alternative options for the sends might not have that luxury and this is i think a very ideal place for this team yeah. the problem is this area of development is not built die on the ottawa senators there are several other features to this project and i think LeBreton flats is going to be used for this project even if the sense aren't a part of this deal and that's why this deal is so critical and so important because it's not as we get bad news things get even worse and maybe this even proves the ncc suspicions of what is going on with this group it's not healthy 
there are issues that need to be sorted out. And now you throw in a lawsuit, you have a disappointing setback on your hands. And I have no idea what's going to happen in January. I'm praying. I'm hoping for the best. But right now, if you're a Sens fan, you're really holding your breath and you're hoping that somehow they can work things out. But right now, it, it looks like both sides are at a really big impasse. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it seems like it's a tough situation at the moment. Um, mm. I, I, I assume this is just, I mean, this seems like a it, developing it, story. It's, it's just so funny because it seems all on board with the idea of a downtown rink. And it's just right. like second guessing. Like, like, you were so excited to be a part of this a couple of years ago. Why turn around and see your partner? Why give up now? Right, yeah. It's, I, I, it just boggles my mind, honestly. Yeah, I don't understand it fully uh, yet, but I, I feel like there's something missing right now that we don't understand that's not like public yeah, yet. Yeah, I, I feel like with every situation that we don't have our heads wrapped around, there's a logical situation. Right. Um, there's a logical explanation to this situation, but is it just that hard to put your differences aside and work together? Yeah. Like, really? Like, you're... I'm Good sure point. everyone has worked with someone that they just cannot stand. They probably don't want to spend any more time working with them. But for the greater good of whether it's a class project, whether it's a business idea, yeah. You just have to find a way to suck it up it's for the greater good. You just have to find a way to suck it up and just deal with it and find a way to make it work. Yeah. And this is what needs to happen. They Grant, my story's over. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, so, so what's going to happen for me, or like I said, come January, we're going to find out what the NCC has. They could, um, they could uh, give it to the group that has lost that uh, lost the original proposal, and I believe that proposal also involved the Ottawa Senators. So if they go with that, Phoenix would have to cooperate, and if they. Because Eugene Melnick wasn't really keen on working with them either. Um, if they can't do that, then it's just another case of controversy. Surrender can be avoided. So we'll see what happens in January, I guess, and even beyond that. Because this is a project that, even if it's dead in the water in January, the future of the Ottawa Senators, the, the topic is going to drag on for months and months beyond that. So yep. Hopefully it has a peaceful resolution, but... It does not look peaceful at the moment. No, of course not. I yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so I assume, as you just mentioned, this is a developing story, so I'm sure we'll hear all about it uh, come oh, yeah. January. For now, our Twitter is lace them lace up podcast. Um, our Facebook is lace them up. Um, by the way, just quickly before we go. Um, I saw that there was rumors. It's not official yet, so I don't know. Maybe uh, the it appears that the new Flyers GM is Dean Lombardi. Um, oh wow! 
or that's who they're like that seems to be that's their first right, choice. I forgot he, he was working with the Flyers. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that appears to be it, and then also like a couple of Hackstall's assistant coaches have been fired too. Um, so it's obviously a little bit like contentious now because that's what they did to Quinville too. Is they uh, they fired a couple of their assistant yeah, that's coaches right. the year before that. Yeah. they fired his assistants, and Quinville wasn't too happy about exactly. That. So Haxel's obviously like, all right, I know, like the writing's on the wall. Yeah, exactly. So and what's also going to be interesting, and we're going to follow that up as well. There's another sure. bit of hockey news that we'll be uh, keeping in mind. Saturday is December the 1st, and the key thing with that date is if Nylander isn't signed, he's not eligible to play. Oh, yeah. So we'll know probably the resolution to that deal, whether he gets signed, whether he gets traded, or whether he's ineligible to play. We'll probably have an answer for the William Nylander situation next week, too. So yeah, that's a good point. Uh, that, will prob- that could be a main topic, depending on how big it is. Yeah, he has five day. We have five days for the Leafs and Nylander to figure it out. Apparently, they're pretty close now. I thought I saw that Nylander is kind of uh, said that he wants like six point five now. But um, I think I think the trouble is the term, the the length yeah. of the contract that they're concerned with. Well, it's I also think, I th- from what I've heard, they're they're agreeing on money. So. Well, yeah, it's but like the thing is, is like eight million. I thought he what his initial ask was eight million. Yeah, I but, think at some point that's what the Nealander camp was hoping for was eight yeah, million. Yeah, but it seems like that's not. They've turned that down a little bit. Um yeah. All right. So, anyways, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode one hundred forty-eight of the Lace Mob Podcast.